Hello everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games, and what makes them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberidge, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We are back indeed. Feels I finally... Like a little rhythm again here. Uh, yes. And, and I'm still catching the rhythm of the, the intro, because I, I finally decided I was just going to add the so in so special to us. <laughs> I deemed it, like, superfluous, and it probably is, um, when I was, like, writing it out, but... I don't know. It, it it just sounds better, I think, when I say so special. I agree. It does sound better. It adds the necessary emphasis um, that, uh, it, like, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Not on this planet Earth, but us doing this podcast. Um, it, it's not just special to us. There are a lot of things in life that are pretty special, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. places, people, beers, etc. Um, <laughs> but in, in that order. It, it broadly speaking in that order uh hopefully usually for most of us uh, the order is definitely healthier when uh alcohol and or other such uh substances come last but um but no games are, spe- are so special to us are they occupy a um a unique spot in media experiences for us and that's why we're here yeah absolutely um yeah, well, we have uh, a few things to get to. We have a, a guest coming up, so I think maybe we'll uh, we'll plunge right into it here. Yeah, absolutely. I, honestly, I should be running a timer, but we're going to see how it goes freestyling it, and uh, hopefully it won't run too, too long. Sure thing. All right. Well, coming up first on the show is our ranking of games. And Moses, why don't you hit me with what you got this week? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, it's funny, uh, not too uh, long ago, we swapped uh, Spelunky 2 in for our fighting game minute. Mm-hmm. And it's had me thinking about Spelunky. And I'm like, mm. how the hell is Spelunky not on my list? Yeah. Um, I like it more than Spelunky 2, at least to date. Uh, Spelunky 2 is fresh and, and it's giving us the opportunity to play remotely. But Spelunky is a really important, really, really like a game that I've enjoyed so much that I have no problem going back and replaying in spite of there being a sequel. Spelunky is going to grab the number six spot, uh, dropping SSX Tricky down to number seven for me. It very comfortably, I was like, okay, it really, it should be towards the top, but I looked at like my top five and I was like, I can't actually displace any of those top five. Mm-hmm. So after we love Katamari and before SSX Tricky, I'm going to drop Spelunky in there. Very good. Um, and I mean, it's certainly decently trod territory for us as, as a whole, but uh, any any specific reflections? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I have two. And the first one is actually about uh, this whole list making process. Games like other media in this respect, um, but more so, I think maybe they're more like television series than they are anything else in that uh, the people who you play them with are either even more important in games, but also when you watch a show with somebody or with a group of people, mm-hmm. uh, that social context matters a lot and it informs your experience of it. Um, and I think reflecting back, uh, Spelunky might have been, uh, I might have not quite thrown it on the list yet due to, due to reasons of the past and not wanting to like, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what, though, I've enjoyed this game so much. And I'm primarily in context, uh, you know, with you, mm-hmm. um, with a variety of other people that no other associations uh, could possibly weigh down the, the value of, of the Spelunky playing experiences that I've had over the years. 
And then, of course, there's the purity of this game. Um, the original Spelunky, the caves levels were not that bad. Getting through, you know, caves one through four was not that bad. And then the steep difficulty uh, climb with jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, but natural, not an unnatural level of difficulty, but just one that made it that much harder to beat. And so it's not a terribly deep game in terms of the original. There, are, I mean, there is a lot of depth in terms of the procedurality of it. Um, and there are certainly like the weird side levels, like the weird um, Meat Boy-esque <laughs> like level yeah. and the hidden alien level. Um, but for the, and you know, we never made it to hell, uh, right, which right. requires beating the game in a very particular way. Um, but the core game, you've got these four levels and a final boss. Well, I mean, four worlds, four levels each and a final boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so on, in some sense, that's like not a whole lot. And yet it took us a damn long time uh, individually and then together uh, to, to wind up beating the game. And I attribute that to an absolutely brilliant level progression. Mm-hmm. Um, that the the sequence of difficulty and then what goes along with with that sequence of difficulty of advancing, you know, beyond the jungle, the ice caves to the freaking temple, which like the first time you get there is just balls hard. And you kind of think I can't possibly beat this because it's you need to think so completely differently from any of the prior levels. The prior mm-hmm. levels, you know, you just needed to kind of tweak and modify your thinking. Um, and the temple, you need to think about the whole space completely, completely differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still in keeping with the skills that you've built up along the way. It's just modifying your approach, uh, adding speed to it is one major part of it, but also thinking about the way the level moves on you, which the previous ones, like for the most part, you don't have a whole lot of that. There weren't but, like big pieces at the level coming at you to, to squish you. Exactly. The traps are pretty fixed. There's like in the jungle, there are the punchy, you know, uh, pole things. There are the ice pieces that are, you know, unstable and fall and stuff like that. Um, But it's a really pleasant progression. And then once you kind of make that shift and suddenly the temple isn't so scary anymore and you're actually pretty capable of mastering it and getting to that final boss fight, which again, a lot of games make the mistake when they get to a boss or especially a final boss of asking you to do something that's really weirdly different from what you've done in the entire rest of the game. And the Olmec fight is exactly the opposite of that. Um, it's very much the rest of the game. It's just playing it a little bit differently, but using that same essential skill set in terms of running and jumping and repositioning yourself. Um, and, and reading the topography of like the platforms. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Including yeah. the upper area up there. Um, so all of that, and the one thing I'll throw in on top of that is, of course, the versus mode. <laughs> right. Uh, having been such an endless font, font, whatever, of uh, of joy for us, of like, okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play some adventure mode, and then at a certain point, or later on after we've beaten the game, sometimes just throwing a little bit of Spelunky versus in the mix, just mm-hmm. hammering it out, and some of those levels are just ridiculously fun, and then some of them are just pure torture and brutal, and it's like all four players are trying to survive the level more than they're trying to kill each other. Um, but all of that is just evidence of a really, really excellent game design um, and uh, an experience that's super repeatable that like, honestly, sure, I'm not going to play the original Spelunky at the depth that we used to play it, um, but it's a game I could easily return to anytime and have so many wonderful memories banked around it. So yeah. it just had to make its way up in there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, did you ever play the original Spelunky on no PC? 
Yeah, no, I didn't. You know, uh, my dearly departed friend Max used to say that, you know, this Spelunky was all right on, on console or whatever, but the real Spelunky was the <laughs> PC version and watching people speed run the original version. Those are the real, you know, hardcore Spelunky players. And that's probably true. Uh, you know, one of the most annoying things about Max is how often he was right in many respects, <laughs> but it's also obviously somewhat subjective. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's free. Uh, yeah. Just as a curiosity, you should, you should fire it up sometime. I definitely should. Yeah. Um, Great. Well, as for myself, slotting itself right under Super Mario World in my new, uh, what's that going to be, number 11 spot? Uh, number 12, actually, spot is Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, or... the original Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, which okay. kind of surprises me because John and I built our childhood around Sonic 2, as previously discussed. Yeah. But when I go back to Sonic, like that was the first game that really felt like like mine. Sure. And it was just for me, and um, it was unlike anything I had ever played. You know, we had played Mario and stuff, but yeah. where speed being sort of the focus and then the way the levels would, would gracefully kind of propel you through them. Yeah. Um, I think that before Sonic actually came out and anybody had put a hand on it, they thought like, oh, they're biting off Mario. And then mm -hmm. like the, the moment that that was totally an adventure zone voice i just did the moment that um, <laughs> it was yeah the the moment that um that you actually played it for the first time like you're saying the experience was so completely different yeah and like the the parallax scrolling in the background i had never seen before yeah and it had this great pop art aesthetic um you know straight out of japan that was so appealing to me and then of course the ubiquitous music mm -hmm. um you know wonderful wonderful music and it you know it was like it was like playing original mario to me and that i would just explore the levels and run around and do things that only a kid would do spend five minutes trying to do this one weird thing just to see what happens you know right right um but yeah well and in some instances maybe thinking that you had to do a thing when in fact like that wasn't what the level was trying to get you to do at all but like as a as a very young gamer sometimes there's that propensity to be like well, no, it's got to be this. It's got to yeah. be this. No, it's not even remotely that, right? Right. It's like, no, just go left. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it definitely had to had to make my my list on the sooner side um, for being so formative. And you know, I've played a lot of Sonic Two over the years. So if I could go back and play a Sonic game right now, it would probably be Sonic One, just because you know I, I haven't played it as much over the years. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, I mean, there was no Tails yet. Mm -hmm. Just just Sonic trying to save the little animals from, from Dr. Robotnik. Yep. I don't think I ever beat the original, actually. It's tough. They're all they're all kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's still an era of video game design where nobody was pulling punches even in big mainstream titles that they were trying to market to, you know, all ages slash kids. Right. Um, I think that with a lot of more modern game games there are deliberate efforts to make them somewhat easier or at least have an easier mode. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's not a game that's saying, hey, I'm Dark Souls, I'm trying to kick your ass uh, or something equivalent, right? Um, but this was just like in the paradigm, not, not, coming not too far off of arcade game design where just you know, balls hard design was actually a, a fundamental driver of getting people to dump quarters into machines. Mm -hmm. um, but man and what a color palette mm -hmm. 
I, I feel like that's another standout thing about that game that like hadn't really been done that way before. It's not like there hadn't been games with bright colors, but um, these were these were glowing. Yeah. Yeah. And like and not in an accidental um, way at all, a very deliberate, a very deliberately designed palette. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of like the, the pop art thing and like the checkerboard pattern on the, the dirt. Yeah. Uh, you know, it all it all adds up to be something, you know, truly, truly memorable. Indeed, indeed. And, uh, you know, um, I didn't see the movie, so I have no idea whether or not they completely. <laughs> I heard it wasn't bad. I mean, I, I like Ben Schwartz. Um, so, you know, maybe a, a rental sometime. You never. It know. was the top grossing movie in the, in the theaters for 2020, only because everything shut down right afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Good, or at least good for them. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Absolutely. And they did re, re uh, revise the character design to make Sonic right. really less creepy. That was a really good move <laughs> yes yes indeed right um, on excellent game choice you know um and uh as i mentioned previously the sega genesis was the system co first console that was actually in my home so i actually had had some sonic experiences myself um mm -hmm. great definitely a great game yeah no doubt oh and then one more thing on the on going back to your difficulty your point about difficulty ironically the new sonic mania game which was like an actual good 2d sonic game they finally like got like this fan who had done games on his own and they said hey you you do this um but uh it was quite difficult it was as hard as as old sonics so right on right on. Know, That's they're awesome. still embracing that that side of things you know it does seem to me that they've managed the sonic ip a little differently from a lot of games that they have been uh less restrictive with it um, and that it hasn't seemed to damage, have any damaging effect, but I don't know. That's just a, that's an impression. I don't know. Does that sound right? Or, <clears throat> um, I mean, as a game franchise, the reputation is pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, there's the whole Sonic cycle that people talk about where a new Sonic game is announced and then you, you like, don't want to believe at first. And then you end up believing it might be good and then it's not, and you get crushed and like, you just repeat that. Yeah. Um, but you know they they do happen on occasion the the odd good Sonic game. I meant more in the sense that um, uh, Sonic has made more cross like crossover appearances than a lot of game characters seem to have. That's uh, just kind of my impression again. Yeah, I think it's partially uh, well due to his popularity, and then also Sega now being purely a. Uh, a software developer instead of yeah. hardware they can put sonic into smash brothers without it yeah being a conflict. that actually makes that makes a ton of sense that um that they got out of the hardware market quite a while ago at this point and mm -hmm. from the moment that that happens it changes everything like if nintendo were to ever stop making consoles we'd see a drastic shift in terms of where mario would be likely to appear for sure yeah that perish the thought well some excellent additions to our list as we get to that magic number 13. Lucky number 13. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, let us press ahead into the show with our next segment, What I Love About. And Moses, why don't you tell me what you love about? Uh, well, we're on the topic of the Sega Genesis. Um, what I love about the original Mortal Kombat, much as we've stepped aside from fighting games for now, uh, the original Mortal Kombat is the first fighting game that I ever got comfortable with. Um, and I used to be somewhat decent at it on the Genesis uh, and Mortal Kombat 2 for that matter. Um, and what I love about it 
what is that in comparison to Street Fighter, which is the obvious in comparison to at the time, right? Um, it, it is not the the gore and blood that uh, that I that I'm going to emphasize here, but rather that the controls were much more approachable for getting started. And I'm not talking about being able to to button mash and spam, mm -hmm. uh, but the combos. For whatever reason, I always struggled learning the uh, the Street Fighter combos. It might be that there are a lot more arcs in Street mm -hmm. Fighter than there were. Like there are a lot of com combos in the original Mortal Kombat that are just like, you know, direction, 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 button, button, or something like that, right? Variants right. like that. Um, but th there's a lot to love about that because it made, well, those games were, were so hot. It actually made the fighting game experience approachable to me in the 90s um, and gave me a lot of hours of enjoyment uh, playing primarily with my friend Noah, uh, playing Mortal Kombat. And I mean, just as an aside, I'll throw in that I also love that the original Mortal Kombat movie was so unabashedly fucking goofy <laughs> right. and not try too hard to be something other than just being like, yeah, they're all going to fight each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a going to keep that one pretty bound to Jay, which uh, hopefully keeps us on track on time, too. But that's uh, that's my what I love about for uh, for this week. Very nice. Um, well, for me, what I love about uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, which is the uh, the Yakuza game I'm currently playing, uh, is the uh, the job specific animations that are in the the RPG style combat, oh, and that's... so like you can have different classes for mm -hmm. each uh, person in your party, and you can do an attack that will knock an enemy down and then they'll be on the ground for a little bit. It gives you a chance to send someone else at them for a melee attack and they'll do a different sort of attack and it'll do way more damage. Okay. Um, so you, you know, you want to, you want to do this and it took me a while to notice, but you have a character um, unfortunately starts off as homeless class, um, but eventually he can become uh, a musician and when he becomes a musician, he wields a uh, acoustic guitar nice. and his downed enemy attack then becomes this like rock star slide ha! into them. I love it. Or there's another guy who, uh, well, again, sort of unfortunately is a cop uh, who you can make into a riot cop, but he does this thing. It's like, it looks like a pro wrestling move where if, if you're the riot cop class, he like sticks out his leg and like does this, this toppling over fall like body slam down onto the enemy nice. um and it's just such a little touch um and there are other such small touches in that but for some reason that one especially the rock star slide like yeah. the fact that they devised not only different animations but animations that made sense like if you're a musician what sort of attack would you do if the enemy was down you would slide into them you know you'd rock uh, it out you'd rock it out i'm just a little disappointed that they didn't really uh recognize that mu musicians are just often often homeless i was <laughs> I, I was a homeless musician once um houseless at least so uh you know yeah and maybe they were reaching for that connection there i don't know if you saw the default outfit for the musician class i mean he still looked plenty <laughs> plenty unhoused um so i put him in the funeral garb which is this slick uh black uh tie suit uh nice. not black tie you know regular Most tie regular tie that's black Excellent. um <laughs> so yeah right. not a bow tie not a black tie exactly right on. um yeah, well, coming up next on the show is Paul and Moses with your 
Spelunky Minute, I, I think is what we're calling it. Oh, we're going to work on that for sure. But for now, yeah. we're calling it the Spelunky Minute. And we had a minute of Spelunky earlier today. Spelunky 2. Um, and uh, yeah, this should be a very quick update. But we got further in Spelunky 2 than I had gotten previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my solo play, I've only gotten as far as the jungle. Um, and hadn't even realized until a couple of times back when we were playing that there are two different exits. I think I'd just always gone to the left um, yeah. for some reason. I, I don't know if that's some kind of a slightly spelunkyish habit, uh, but I, I had. So, um, so yeah, there's the weird kind of, how do you describe it? Magma filled factory, factory kind yeah. of uh, a lava, fa- a lava foundry. Yeah. They're making lava, making hot lava. They got <laughs> yep, little, yep. little demons cruising around with pots full of, full of lava, pouring that magma into little magmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd appeared in the previous Spelunky, what, on the temple level with little, like, flaming magma dudes. But yeah, really I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty positive of that. I'm pretty positive they were not on the uh, uh, on the ice caves because you really wouldn't, wouldn't find uh, flaming dudes in ice caves. And there were definitely magma pits in the temple. But leaving all that aside, um, so we'd been there before, uh, like, once. Uh, but we actually got through there to uh, one of the next optional locations. Yeah, uh, I'm, I call it the Reefs. Um, That's a good name. But yeah, you had never seen it. Uh, so yeah, what, what were your uh, impressions? Beautiful design, like a, a startlingly different style of world from other Spelunky. Uh, there's clearly some, um, well, by my read, which is not deeply experienced on this matter, there's clearly some some Chinese cultural representation going on there with like the dragon poles mm-hmm. and some of the other stuff seem to be be similarly in in line with that kind of aesthetic yeah it's something a little bit more specific i could say than chinese but i i don't have the background to be able to make that call um and as you immediately pointed out to me it is full of hidden traps mm-hmm. um which is a new and um you know delightfully uh, obnoxious feature for um for a spelunky space for a level type um most of the previous areas the traps you get pretty familiar with spotting them out they're not Mm -hmm. there are a couple of them in the new jungle that are a little bit pernicious um but uh but not too bad but like those bear traps are very much hidden in plain sight but like very hidden you need to know exactly what you're looking at Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was uh that's gonna be tough i think we can get through it um i'll need to up my game a little bit you did a fair amount of carry although i did actually carry us through uh a level or two in there myself but um but uh, i am looking forward to it and i'm also curious now of course what the alternative to the the reefs is yeah and i'm not sure if there is one actually um oh, really? it might filter into yeah but uh i mean i was the one who ultimately beefed it in the end uh when i just i mean i was all of a sudden just dead and that that doesn't happen too often to me in Spelunky anymore, uh, but it was a bear trap hidden behind a little part a little of the like plant art, kind of you know, of the world. And and you were trying to head over to a shop, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and then it's just like dead. I'm like, what? I literally didn't, couldn't process what was happening. I actually saw that bear trap. I thought you uh, saw it, and I think you were just so focused on getting to the shop that you didn't really notice there was a trap there. Yeah, that'll happen. But yeah, I love the that zone is all about like deception and the guys who jump on the ceiling and then can jump down and one of my favorite little touches is there is a trap that is extremely ostentatious it is a glistening golden 
lion statue that shoots or you know that spikes shoot out of it uh if you stand too close and i really like because it's like here look at this trap be be careful of this so you're paying attention to this the you know legitimate trap but then you're going to step on a bear trap instead you know uh, right right it's, it's a really sneaky design are those bear traps just like one and dones or uh or are they like a two damage kind of uh, i think they do two damage and you can you can reset them and use them to your own ends as ah, well. once you've triggered one you can pick it up yeah yeah cool cool excellent yeah so we will uh you know hopefully become uh, better acquainted with with the reefs as time goes on I rather expect we will. And, you know, I'm going to have to throw a little bit of Splunky 2 time in on my own to uh, open up some short shortcuts, get a little practice. I've started the shortcut to the jungle, um, but uh, not, uh, I think I've only done the first, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, Mama Tunnel or whatever? Uh, yeah. yeah. I've only done her first uh, ask, which, you know, and the third one is maybe a turkey or something. Otherwise, that's not as simple as normal gear that you would probably be carrying exactly or a shotgun or something yeah something like that yeah yeah like oh you're gonna have to find a shop that has this if it yeah if it's a shotgun that'll be the right pink but yeah well cool uh well fantastic we will uh move along then uh we have one brand new feature before our guest and that is a brief feature called corrections um Moses, you and I are at liberty to uh, research anything discussed on the show. And, and if either of us are in error, uh, bring it forward. Um, surprising myself, uh, Solarians were in the original Mass Effect. Oh, they were? Yeah. All right. Excellent. Good correction. Good correction. Yep. Um, so yeah, that was corrections. And we will see you next time. All right. Well, coming up on the show, here is our guest, uh, Ryan Martinez. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, Moses, you and Ryan have known each other for, for a while. Um, Quite a while. I'm not as, well, as long uh, as uh, you and I have known each other, but, uh, but yeah. not too long after, actually. And yeah, you two were with the, uh, the Games and Learning Society here in Madison for a while. That we were. Yes. Yes. Kind of did a little bit of everything. Like teaching classes, doing research, um, helping design games, helping consulting games, uh, a lot of that involved. Playing games. A a lot of that, too. Well, yeah, uh, this this should be, uh, yeah, this should be great that I'm looking forward to whatever you've got for us. Um, Before we get to that, though, uh, a few rapid fire questions from Moses and myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ryan, if you could tell us, what is the first game you remember playing? Um... The first game I remember playing was actually Pitfall in the Atari. Um, and the reason why I remember that is because if you got like, you know, if, if you're not familiar with Pitfall for listeners, it's kind of like a side scroller, um, extraordinarily hard because the controllers were not very responsive. Mm-hmm. But I remember one of the things was that if you found a diamond bar and took a picture of it and sent it to Atari, um, you'd be enlisted in like the diamond club and they would send you a patch. And I remember getting the diamond bar and being really excited about it. And my mom was going to get ready to take a picture of it. And then I accidentally reset the game. Oh, no. And yeah, that that was a very painful experience because old games were extremely unforgiving. And um, I still remember that. So that that is the first game I vividly remember playing. There you go. Wow. Now, 
was finding a diamond was that based a lot on on chance or yeah so yeah. it was it was i and i may be wrong about this but i mean it's been a long time since i played the game but it was basically about chance like it was very few opportunities when you would actually encounter a diamond bar um and so especially with that game i think you had three lives and then that was it yeah start over so it was a pinnacle that myself and my mother remembers but nobody else will ever have evidence that i actually did that <laughs> right right oh wow uh yeah that's i can see why that would be seared into your into your memory like that uh, a lot of therapy but you know <laughs> yeah. work on you might still you know maybe you can find a replica or uh, on ebay you can get one of it, those patches it wouldn't be the same no it would not be the you're same. right <laughs> Um, well, my next question is, uh, what's the first game you remember beating? I think the first game that really stands out, um, and it's one of my kind of like my Desert Island games, is the original Maniac Mansion that I played for Nintendo. Ah. Um, because that was a game that, like, I would visit my cousins on the weekend, we would play this game, and it was a game that none of us really thought about, because, you know, we play like sports games or like Legend of Zelda. Um, but this game was just really weird and it was really hard. And so like having all of us together, trying to like brainstorm how to like get through certain parts of the game, because yeah. I don't know if we played it, but it's really, really hard. Um, when we beat it, it was just such a sense of accomplishment that it was, it, I mean, it's something we still talk about at family functions, <laughs> even though my other cousins don't play games anymore, really. Um, wow that probably stands out the most to me as being like the one that I beat. And I was like, and raised in the air. Awesome. I didn't even know that came to the NES. That's wow. Yeah. And, and what was worst about it was that it didn't really like, they still had the mouse cursor. So you oh. could use your controller for the oh. mouse cursor. And there were a lot of time sensitive parts of that game. <laughs> oh no. Which yeah. was awful. Um, <laughs> Like I, uh, in preparing for this, I, I watched a speed run of that last week and somebody beat it in like eight minutes and we spent literal months playing that oh game. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And so a part of me really respected that, but a part of me really thought I hate you so much mm -hmm. because months of our work was like eight minutes for you. But yeah, that one stands out the most. Did you ever microwave the hamster? Yes. Okay. Do you have to, to beat the game? Uh, no, you don't. Okay. It's, it's okay. Sort of like a side thing. It's it, it's there's there's a ton of different things you can do in the game that really don't affect your end outcome. Okay. Um, at least to the best of my knowledge. Okay. Uh, somebody may say, no, you got this wrong, but I'm sorry, it's been like 20 years. <laughs> right. Um, right, right. But yeah, you you know, as a kid, microwave and hamster. Sure. That, that's what you did. <laughs> Better than uh, IRL. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, yes, I would not do that in real life. That's, that's, I guess that's the beauty of video games in some respects. Exactly. Well, uh, speaking of video games, my final question for you, Ryan, if you could share with us, what's your favorite game? So, <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't, I mean, if I, again, like if I went to Desert Island game, I would go Maniac Mansion. Um, but that's more of like the social construct of like, everything that was about that game. Uh -huh. yeah. um, I would say, I don't know if I would have like an absolute favorite game. I would say one of my most favorite games of the last five years is Persona 5. Ah, uh -huh. yes. Which is 
a very strange JRPG. I didn't get into the Persona series before this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was like, it was a great combination of story, gameplay. Um, the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you, if you do play it, warning to anybody who's listening to this, you will spend at least 100 hours playing that game. So it's not a casual kind of drop in and drop out. But for me, that was like one of the most complete games I've played in a long time. I can't really think of an absolute favorite at this yeah. time. Each no, that's, yeah. yeah, that's totally I've fair. spent 13 episodes now of, of trying to, to rank our, our favorite games. So honestly, um, we, we don't expect anybody uh, in answering this question to actually really just be able to off the top of their head nail, this is my favorite game of all time just whatever you know it's a reasonable response right i mean yeah. I, I can tell you that definitely up in that list is not any of the the bloodborne or demon souls or dark souls <laughs> game. um only because i have hats off to anyone that can play that game and beat it or even get through it i am terrible at those games it's one of those in the categories of i really wish i was better because i hear all these great things about it yeah fair enough I fully understand that. I feel that way about like Dwarf Fortress. You know, it's like I really oh. wish, wish, wish I was there. Um, but yeah, Persona Five. I I didn't end up um, finishing it. I I don't know exactly why because I really enjoyed it. And I just remember the battles like they were so quick, and you could like know exactly what you needed to do. And there were these great audio cues that your party members would would shout over and over. And it was like this like it almost was like a slot machine of just hit after hit of like dopamine and sound effects and um yeah what a what a game i should uh yeah i should i should revisit that one sometime i think it's um i have a friend of mine that likes to collect limited edition games and the soundtrack it it may have gone down in price but like in order to buy the soundtrack of it it's like 150 dollars. wow yeah it's Again, it, it's probably one of the most complete games. And, you know, especially now with everything, like I play games that are sort of like low mentally focused, like I can just pay enough attention to it. Um, mm-hmm. But that game, I mean, you, you can't miss it. Like it's just in your face the entire time. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, Moses, I will turn it over to you. Yeah, indeed. So, Ryan, Paul has the uh, a consistent set of questions that are all functionally reasonable questions. They're not exactly gotcha questions. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I customize questions for each guest, and uh, in this particular instance, I'm going to go for uh, a kind of order here that is going to start with something more reasonable, uh, topical in relation to, uh, to some shared expertise uh, of ours, and it's going to get a little ridiculous from there. So first, if there's one piece of video game scholarship that you would recommend for regular people who enjoy games who don't normally get into any kind of academic nonsense, uh, what would it be? I didn't say it was going to be an easy question, just that it was going to be a normal question. I think that this book gets raked over the coals a lot more than I believe it should. Um, but if you're talking about like most accessible, like the power of games and how games can help people learn and change themselves, I honestly would probably pick Reality is Broken by Jane McGonigal. Oh, right on. Um, just because, you know, she, in, in her, uh, her, in her book, and I'm not going to get all the details right, but, you know, she kind of comes into like a life instance where, you know, life really starts to play a role like her health wise. Yeah. And she starts to think about game mechanics to kind of help improve herself. And she 
I believe she made a company about that. Um, I'm not exactly super better. Was that? Yeah, I think it was something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I. So you know, I I know that for very rigid video game scholars, they may not appreciate that answer. But you know, we're talking about people that are giving sort of an entrance way for those that are interested in games more than just um, kind of light entertainment and kind of think about like a, a bigger impact of games. Gamers, if you will, yeah. Um, but in, in, a, in a very broad sense, but, but who'd be interested in, in learning more. So cool, great answer. Um, not that there would have been a wrong answer in any, any sense, cause there aren't for any of these. Um, this is a little bit more ridiculous than the previous question. I okay. alluded to the basement in the teacher education building earlier, and there were certain games that um, that uh, that GLS uh, grad students played heavily for one reason or another. Now, if you could only for one month, if you could only play World of Warcraft or League of Legends, which one would you choose? Uh... I know I'm not exactly giving you great options here because uh, these are conspicuously games that pretty much most people from our cohort are massively burned out on. Yeah, so, um, I mean, if I, if I had my choice, I would say neither one, I would play Team Fortress 2. Um, yeah, well, no, I wasn't gonna give you a gimme like that. Of course, right, right, of course, of course. It's on my list of favorite games of all time. So, um, uh, League of Legends. So I, I, I did get into World of Warcraft when I was in GLS and, you know, we, you know, we had Terra Nova, um, that was fun to play with, but it never really got me as much. And I think it's just because when I want to drop into a game, like if I play like a really long game, I want to do that by myself. So, you know, um, yeah. like Persona 5, like that's a single player game. And I just, you know, if I want to spend three hours on it or a half hour on it, I can do that. But, you know, if you're doing a run in World of Warcraft, like, no, you're locked in. And, and you're so, in with these friends and or strangers for, you know, anywhere from an hour and a half to five hours. Right. Yes. No, exactly. And, and so for me, League of Legends would probably be the one only because when I used to play with my, my friends, we did the ARAMs. So all random, all middle. And that would be a quick, like, 40-minute game. And you could play it. And, you know, um, my, my friends would get angry and start, like, counting on the keyboard, like, telling people <laughs> to play. And I would just be like... I don't really know what I'm doing, but it's kind of fun. Um, that would, yeah, that would be the one that I would pick between those two. Between those two. And sure. I, I can already think about some people with me that would, or friends of mine that would viscerally disagree with me, but. Well, you know, of course. Uh, but again, this one, there's really no right answer because I'm really asking you to choose between two different forms of suffering in this particular case. <laughs> Apologies right. to anybody who is still an avid lol or well player. Uh, and, but and as a qualifier, I would not play the regular League of Legends game. I would play the short one. Like, I, I cannot do the long one. I don't like to be called names repeatedly when I'm playing a video game to relax. So I, I'm going to pick, I'm picking my poison. It's that. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. And I actually didn't, uh, didn't put anything in there that didn't allow you to qualify it. So my last and most ridiculous question for you, uh, what video game character would you choose to hang out with if game characters were real people? Oh, uh, boy. Um, yeah, I got it. Uh, the Heavy from TF2. <laughs> it's, I, there is no way in the world you're, not, you're going to have a bad time with him. And, and you know me, I'm, I'm short. I'm out of shape. And if anything gets out of control, 
I mean, I, I have the heavy right there. He's a mountain man. You know, I have to assume he drinks vodka. I, I, I think that's a safe assumption. Um, but otherwise... That, that might be the biggest trouble that you would be getting into by the, by the selection. I don't know. Yes. I mean, there, there's no way that if the heavy, let's say, passed out on the ground, I'd be able to pick him up, like pick him up and like take him out of the bar. Um, but I would like to think it would not get to that point just because of so massive he is. But oh, no, I think the problem pay- might be the other way around entirely that, uh, you know, that's a lot of human being there. His capacity for alcohol is probably enormous. Right. Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, at the same time, like if he gets too out of control, I can kind of slip out yep, because that- he'll probably be able to take care of himself. Very yeah, true. But, uh, I, I wondered, so when you say the heavy, I, does that mean the heavy as he exists in the game? meaning that he is walking around with a, a minigun? <laughs> or does this question allow you to say, we're at a bar, of course he didn't bring his gun? I, I think it's reasonable to interpret that, uh, you know, he owns the gun. Um, you know, you cannot outrun bullet. But, uh, but I mean, no, he's a real, he's a functionally a real person in, okay. or somewhat quasi-real person. He wouldn't necessarily uh, bring the gun everywhere. Gotcha. I, I, yes, and I and I feel like if he did bring in um, his chain gun, probably would not be allowed in many places. I mean, it depends <laughs> on state to state, of course. But at the same time, I, I'm I'm just assuming like heavy is just heavy. Him walking in, maybe with a sandwich. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, and I mean, honestly, you're going to be like, no, you can't bring Sasha into the bar. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do when he says, no, right. Sasha, go where I go? Like, you know, <laughs> like yeah, what bouncer is actually. Again, he's a mountain. Says I can't man. bring in Sasha. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, uh, that's it for our questions for you. Yeah. So, uh, whatever you have got for us, Ryan, let's let's dig in. Uh, sure. So, um, you know, I, Moses approached me about this a while back, and you know, kind of wanted to talk about VR because I did some VR stuff uh, prior to this and I've been sort of toying with the idea of how to use VR properly. Um, and you're one of the uh, few few friends I have um, who is actually like, who owns a VR rig and, and uses it with some, some degree of frequency. Yeah, um, you know, I'm actually staring at it right now, um, but it's kind of half assembled because I'm getting my stuff packed to move out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, so VR has always been really interesting to me. And when, you know, you went from like, I remember the first time uh, I experienced VR, it was in Vegas a long, long time ago with my, my father and my stepmother. And, you know, it was like playing Wolfenstein 3D, nice shirt, by the way. Um, <laughs> and it was like a giant headset that you put on. Um, and I thought that this was gonna be amazing. And when, you know, uh, the Oculus Rift came out and the Vive and even the HoloLens, you know, they there was sort of like this mad grab of like what the VR audience is going to be. And what I kind of wanted to talk about uh, for this segment was, you know, for me, VR has been largely dissatisfying up until like the last year. Hmm. And I think it's because um, the VR companies just kind of, it was almost like it was a moving company where they brought in all the boxes, laid it down in the living room and just said, okay, have fun. And everybody else kind of looked confused. And I, I think there are genres that can be more conducive towards VR. And I feel like the VR industries are not touching on them as much as they possibly could. 
Mm. And I can give you more of an opinion on that, but I kind of wanted to hear what yours is first, like your general impressions of VR. Um, I don't know if either one of you own any VR tools at all. Um, so I got to know up there. Um, we, we do not. Neither of us do. I've had some experiences with VR with, uh, with a handful of different folks who, who own VR tools. Uh, some opportunities with, of course, our colleague, uh, Dr. Eric Bauman's work in uh, medical VR sims. Yep. Um, which I've been, frankly, kind of blown away when I've gotten to see some of that stuff. That's a kind of really, really cool. And when the price scales appropriately for like nursing schools, that'll be fantastic. Um, I would tell you my impression is that uh, the VR games that I've played seem to uh, lean towards like 3D shootery, combat-y type, uh, type stuff in, in my limited experience, which isn't necessarily bad. Um, but, uh, certainly from those experiences, I didn't feel compelled, like, oh, I really, really need to get a VR rig because I want this experience so badly. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's, so I, I had a conversation with somebody about this earlier in the day and, you know, they're, you know, I was talking to them like, Hey, I'm going to be on this podcast tonight. I want to talk about VR games and like what I think would be a really good genre to incorporate in VR, but I don't think many people have thought about it too much yet. And, you know, he just kind of went, yeah, I mean, I'm not really impressed with VR. You know, you have like that, that new Vader Immortal. It's not new anymore, but uh, the VR game of like you're doing lightsaber battles. And, you know, like you have other games that are shooters. And, you know, I think to myself, that that's fine. Like, you know, the whole idea about VR is immersion. But at the same time, there's a reason why I'm playing a video game and not actually like going in like a combat training zone or like doing anything like that because a i'm way out of shape i can't do that and so like doing games with massive massive physical movement is not going to be my thing and you know what separates vr right now from like a more glorified nintendo Wii? right so the, that's so the, yeah. yeah that's what i was going to mention like i i never wanted to waggle with the wii especially in like there was a, a zelda game and you you had to waggle and it, you know, it was, it was a detractor for me. And just like you said, if I wanted to move around and do those things, uh, I, I, I would, uh, there are some exceptions. Johann Sebastian Joust comes to mind. Um, but that is a, yeah. that well, is that. a massive outlier, you know, that, that, that is one of my favorite games, like a modded game for the PlayStation move that I've ever played in my entire life. Like it was, yeah. We, we used to do workshops and we would have Johann Sebastian Joust and it was just like everybody kind of didn't understand it in the beginning, but towards the end, they were just all in mm -hmm. and just so fun. But I mean, yeah, it, it comes back to that. It's like, um, you know, the, when you play video games, it's, it's the idea, at least for me, is that I can do things that are physically limited for me here, but in that space, I can, you know, do things that are way beyond what I can possibly do right now. Mm -hmm. And so when VR started leaning really heavily in the physical movement, that's when I kind of took pause because it's like, you're going to get a few people and they're going to really enjoy that. And, you know, obviously like with like be fit or things like that, like some people are going to get physical with that. But I think for me, like the idea of what made VR so alluring is just the immersion of it, but it's an immersion at a certain limit. So, you know, I can, I can, uh, I can travel to an art museum and look at it through VR, but I don't have to actually be there. Like I'm not walking around, I'm like using my controller. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that a lot of VR games um, up until probably about the last year have been a lot of, you know, physical movement, a lot of peripherals that are like haptic response. Um, and they're, they're really trying to go for like the pure physicality of all of it. And it's like, we're not the holodeck just yet. Mm-hmm. Like right. just try to get people into it. Um, yeah, that was that was the more enjoyable experience I had. I've I've had a few experiences in VR, and I think my favorite was uh, it was a game by Justin Roiland, I, I believe. Um, uh, yeah, Frobisher or not Frobisher says something like something like that. Um, but uh, I, I'm basically literally in a room with this giant, you know, hilarious creature who's talking to me, and it's funny as shit. Like I'm laughing my ass off. Um, and then it kind of had these little little puzzly things, which uh, you know I think maybe that could be maybe a hybridization of 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 the two, and maybe even the best type of genre could be something like an adventure game, where you're searching, where you're solving puzzles. Um, but that still is leaning into the physical side of things, which it sounds like you know you're moving away from at least a bit. Yeah, I mean, so. Um when I was talking to Moses about like the idea that I had for sort of this topic, um, I don't know if you ever, like, I feel like one of the, the genres that could work really well in VR and at the same time not require a lot of physicalness that may dictate in other games. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with like Sierra games or Sierra Studios. Yeah, I, I've played a fair few of those back in the day. Yeah, so I mean, you know, for, for those that are not familiar, you know, Sierra uh, Games was a game company that started around, I want to say like 1982, um, so I'm very much dating myself here, but <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, they, they, they made a ton of different types of games, they made, you know, uh, gambling games, they made different types of weird sim games, um, they made some fairly inappropriate games, um, but one of the, like, one of the things that I remember the most is sort of like the mystery games. And so what I'm talking about is like, um, there was a series like the Laura Bao series, where it was the Colonel's Bequest and the Dagger of Ra, even the Space Quest games, like it was kind of like a point and click, um, but you'd have to solve puzzles and things would kind of work at the speed that you wanted it to. So, you know, for instance, if I was in a room with somebody, I didn't have to talk to them right away for most of the game. I could just sit there and that would give you more time to kind of look around and do things. Um, but then I could talk to them when I wanted to. And for me, one of the things I really miss about video games um, from back in the day is having like a really good mystery game where you really had to be put on the spot to kind of solve problems, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where, you know, you would even need like a pad and paper to kind of write down clues and kind of figure them out on your own. I don't feel like we have a whole lot of that right now. Um, and that's yeah. kind of what really got me into games, like really deeply into games growing up, because it would be something that, you know, my brother and I would play for an afternoon and we'd try to solve these puzzles um, because, you know, there was no really good answer and they were very hard games, but you had to actually work at them. I wonder, I wonder if, if part of it could be like uh, the fact that you can't keep a secret anymore and thus <laughs> the inherent mystery in these games is going to slowly leak out and sort of lose its power over time, whether or not you're looking for spoilers or or not. Just the fact that the information can be so easily disseminated 
might be some sort of strange disincentive to create uh, an experience like that because we, we do have pure puzzle games obviously i think of like the witness like i was beating my head against the wall you know trying to solve those puzzles but it's not it's not a thing where you holistically have to take all these clues and, and weave them together into you know this who who done it or whatever yeah i mean i i do think um and and moses if i'm talking too much just let me know i don't want to oh, no, this is um, uh this is your segment you yeah. just talk as much as oh, you want. okay well i i i i don't want to uh impose but i mean but yeah i think you know but that that kind of works with any game right now i mean there's if i buy like let's say for instance I unfortunately bought Cyberpunk 2077 mm -hmm. the day it came out. And within two days, I had an entire guide for the classic character I was on. Mm -hmm. Now I could go through that. Um, and, you know, obviously it's available to me. But I mean, that was kind of also available back in the day. You know, if you buy like the individual, like instead of being on the internet, you know, you could buy it in the store. That's true. Like a gamer guide. Yeah. Um, so you could do it that way. Um, but I guess a part of me is really stuck in the fact that I think a lot of games in VR are really fixated on physicality. Mm -hmm. And I, I can, you know, that's a type of immersion, but I think that's the wrong type of immersion that they should be focusing on. Because, it's not playing to the strengths. Right. Uh, because yeah. I mean, if I, if I wanted to have a wall climbing simulator, I could just wall climb at mm -hmm. a gym and mm -hmm. do that but I don't want to do that. So I'm going to be in a VR experience and kind of get an experience light of it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when uh, iPad games were starting to pick up, there was a brief renaissance of um, kind of a hybrid between hidden object and point and click adventure games. Uh, and if I recall correctly, there was like a bunch of them in the, in the, in the horror genre. Um, like I didn't spend a lot of time playing those games, but I seem to remember like, cause I wasn't doing a lot of iPad gaming at the time. Uh, but when, because initially there were very meager options on the iPad that were, uh, you know, uh, worth anything at all. Um, and I think to some degree, there was like a form factor and development qualifications thing that fed into, well, what games can we reasonably make right. on this platform, right? And it wasn't like there was a lack of appetite or audience for those very solvable games, right? Um at that point in time, at that inflection point, a lot of people were playing those games, uh, if memory serves me right. Which I mean, I could, obviously this is, I, I don't think that I was exactly looking at like sales figures or anything. Right. Which suggests to me, in, in terms of what you're saying, Ryan, that like developers are maybe just thinking really narrowly about what kinds of games people might play. And maybe to some degree, it, we're, we're still struggling with the, uh, the price point issue for vr with like not not a low enough price point for it to just be really broad adoption where it would be like okay this is eye-catching enough that you're gonna just get millions of people to buy vr headsets yes i yeah i think you're right i think you know right now they have the oculus quest 2 which is about 299 dollars i believe like we're starting to get to a low enough price point you know whereas versus my set like I had to purchase the set for 350 and then had to build a computer that could actually handle it. Right. So that was an extra $1,200 on top of it. Um, Is the but, Quest 2 standalone? 
Yeah, I believe so. Yes. I see that, and that's a game changer right there too, because suddenly it's like you're buying a platform. You're not buying a, a peripheral for the price of a platform. Right. Right. And so, you know, you can, it, 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 it kind of harkens me back to, so um, about five years ago, time is a flat circle right now. Um, <laughs> I, I was invited to attend one of the first Oculus Launchpad um, uh, uh, workshops at Facebook. And basically it was, you know, people would come in and propose ideas of like what they thought, where they thought VR would go what could be potentials of it. And we'd go in and we went for a day of workshops. And when I went in there, you know, I, I went in there and um, a former colleague of ours, Dennis Ramirez came along with me and we basically had uh, lectures from folks over at Facebook about the different things they were doing with Oculus. But then like the groups that we were with were very interesting because, you know, some of them were working in news, some of them were working with art, some of them were working with video games specifically, some of them were working with educational uh, technologies. And it, you know, it, it kind of came to back down to the point of like, they knew VR was going to be a thing. They didn't know where it was going to be a thing. And so they wanted us to think of where it was going to be a thing. Um, and so I think there was a lot of that in the beginning. And, you know, now it's sort of, at least it feels to me that the main focus in VR is video games. But even then, I still don't know if people really know where the where it's going to go besides, you know, licensed properties. You know, I, I would love to be Darth Vader, but if I'm just a regular Joe with a sword, is that going to be as successful? And even though Game of Darth Vader, is it even going to be good? Mm -hmm. Probably not, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah it, it is sort of missed miss potential right now i think even in something like virtual tourism and maybe there is i'm sure there's more out there than that i'm aware of but maybe it is a, a bigger thing but um kind of what you were talking about about inhabiting a space and just being able to observe uh and then even more so if you could turn that into part of the game you know in sort of like a mystery experience like you were uh, talking about um where being in that place and being able to examine uh, the fine details uh, could all lead to this this interesting sort of sort of uh, puzzle to unravel. Right. So I mean, it's it it's kind of like uh, you know one of the unfortunate things about COVID is that a lot of like big big box stores like let's say like Best Buy or Stable Staples or whatnot like they're closing up. And I noticed on my way over to the other side of town the other day that what used to be a Best Buy is now like an adventure zone center, hmm. which hmm. is, you know, basically like would be like laser tag back in the day, mm -hmm. but they'll put people like VR headsets and they put them in like large spaces. And, you know, if you're in a large space, then you can use a VR set to play like a really, you know, a frantic shooter game or something like that, where it involves a lot of action. But, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a very small one bedroom apartment and I'm probably going to move into an even smaller apartment. Um, I don't have that space. Like I can't do all of those things that they expect folks in VR to do. So hmm. what are things if I have a VR set that I could be allowed to do in a very smaller space and not have to worry, like, let's say if I'm playing Resident Evil in VR and I'm next to my television and I actually knock into it, like I, I want to avoid those things. Mm -hmm. And so for me, VR is not 
yeah, it's it's not so much the um, the rapid movements of like arms and legs. It's more of you know using the camera of of your headset to kind of go through things, and that's where I feel like you know mystery games like Police Quest or the Laura Bow series or Space Quest would be easier because it's a lot lower of a place where you have to worry about issues where physicality would actually play a role. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could take a, a, a moment here and describe, like if you had a dream, if you could either create or just play a dream uh, game in this sense of, of a VR mystery game that would be appealing to, to you in this way, like what, what would that look like? Yeah, so I, I thought about that as well. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I like the most about VR is that when you are given the opportunity, you can kind of just kind of sit in and kind of soak everything around you. So if I stand in the middle of my room and I rotate my headset as I'm moving around, I can see different things. I don't have any sort of time limit as to how much I want to focus on one thing versus another. Mm -hmm. um because i you know whenever you put a vr headset on somebody for the first time it, it, it's always funny because like they just kind of sit there and then they kind of smile and then mm -hmm. you can see them like reaching their hands out to like they could actually touch something um obviously they can't but you know it's it's sort of like that um kind of mystery of like searching for things and taking your time to do that and that's where i feel like you know sort of mystery games from back in the day would be really resourceful because you don't have to do everything in a time-restricted manner. So for me, it would be uh, a great VR game, like a mystery game like Dagger of Amun-Ra, where you can look around a room, examine objects, um, try to investigate them. You can, you know, if you wanted to use the controller to kind of like rotate the object so that you could reveal clues um, and then go into discussions with the NPC on the screen and kind of gather information from there. You know, um, one of the things I thought about as well is it'd be really nice if you could almost have a virtual notepad that you can kind of just like load up and then you can just use your hand to kind of write out notes if you wanted to so that you could refer back to them. Um, I think that would be a really fun experience. Um, that would probably be my ideal game. Like, and, and I really emphasize like the slowness of it mm -hmm. because I think a lot of VR games that are very popular or at least are commercially popular are frantic like beatbox games. Like you're, you know, you're, you're swinging your arms violently and you're just kind of doing it in the moment, but that's really no different than playing a game like playing rock band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I did have to double check and there are at least two subreddits specifically devoted to VR fails slash injury. <laughs> there is a subreddit called VR to ER and, uh, and there is also one called just VR fail. So, you know, um, I, I think Ryan, your point about the, the need to, uh, or the potential, the potential for games that do not involve moving your body around a lot in a small spaces, <laughs> there's really clearly some room for it. I wanted to ask you, one of the thoughts that occurred to me really early on in VR development, and I, I don't know if it's really started to get realized yet at all, um, is just the potential to uh, to have a virtual table, so to speak, right? So obviously, you know, VR d and I'm sure people have been trying it. 
but for the ability to be, have some co-presence in a way that uh, platforms like Roll20 really don't afford you. Um, and especially given how popular uh, the VR chat um, you know, platforms are, like the sheerly social, it's not even game at all, right? And it's like the most successful app in the VR space, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, especially with VR, the most successful things at the moment are the social applications in VR. And so it seems to me like there's a natural fit there for games that don't involve having to run around the room, but simply having that common reference in front of you mm -hmm. of uh, like, it. you could do so much more than just a board game in terms of the behaviors that might be happening on the table, right? But that would be more like a board game experience. And that seems to me like it could be another, obviously it's very different. You were talking previously about like the solo gaming experience. And this is very much obviously the, the co-op uh, or or versus gaming experience, but with with other people. Yeah, but I you know, I think, and so you know, right now I think the Quest Two is about two hundred ninety nine dollars. I cannot speak for the Vive, um, but you know, it's it's a lot lower price point than VR used to be in the beginning, and I think that you know a a D and D VR. I believe there are a few of them out there. Um, I want to say. Wizards of the Coast has one. There's one called Mythica VR, um, but I haven't. No, no, there's no way that the that, that, that Watsi does not has not gotten into this at least on an exploratory. Right. Place, right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, you know that that is certainly a place you know where, uh, for you know, if if your dungeon master is not that great in describing something, like maybe the VR can help augment that a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, if folks are playing in that space, I, I think that would be really beneficial. I mean, it's, it, I, I think, especially when, especially since D&D &D is so, uh, it's so dependent on the imagination of both the player and the DM. And if neither one of them are fully into it at one point, like VR can help that uh, a lot. And so I think that's, that's another great avenue which they can go into it. Because you know, when you play D and D, like that's also a really great social space. Yeah, playing with other people. Most definitely. I just had a just a little flash here. Um, what if you had, and maybe these already exist? It's sort of an obvious idea, but dice that are mapped so that it looks like regular dice to you. You roll them, and then in the VR space, uh, it's a one-to-one -one representation of the dice, so that everyone at the table can also see. I, even a simple app like that would be kind of nice because one thing I really miss when I'm playing on Roll20 with friends is physically rolling dice. Yeah. So you're, so are you talking about like having like physical dice in your hand, rolling mm -hmm. it in VR and then it represents itself in VR? Yeah, like they have some sort of electronics in them to where it, it knows the orientation. Uh, it, it, you know, it can represent, it probably has gyroscopes uh, among other things, but uh, and then it would be tough to make it all weighted properly, I'm sure, but. Um, I mean, they could even actually not have numbers on the sides. Right. And right? just have that part be And that's the part that's completely procedural and abstracted, but nobody's yeah. seeing what the actual number is. You're all looking through through VR headsets. I mean, I, right. I, I know um, one of the, like, one of the bigger things that some companies really want to go to is like tactile and haptic response. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's say if I'm playing Call of Duty in VR and I get shot, I feel it, um, but also I can feel the weight of things. And so they're develop, developing like 
and they already have, but like, you know, chest vests and then like gloves that can do that. So, you know, if you could actually feel the weight of the dice in your hand mm-hmm. as you roll it, I think it'd be great. I, I know that they already have, you know, there's um, a tabletop simulator, I believe is VR. Mm-hmm. And so you oh, can kind of do it there. You're compatible. So yeah, yeah, I mean, that's already moving in that direction too. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, yeah. But I mean, the other, the other thought that I was having as you were talking in terms of like what genres are potentially amenable to not having to move around a lot that could be really interesting um, is things like tower defense games. Where it might be just a totally cool different way to have an experience with a game uh, that it might not be genre defining as a VR thing, but just like, hey, like that Minecraft demo from a few years back from Microsoft, right? Yep. Um, and we were all like, ooh, shiny, right? It makes me think that like there are lots of games that, um, that aren't in that mold that could be like that are really not designed or that that could be good experiences in a small physical space where it doesn't require you to be getting up and moving around doesn't even require you to be getting up potentially right Uh, but where the vr um experience the vr interface could just make for a much more interesting uh or different play experience i mean one of my one of the biggest i guess disappointments that i had with the introduction of vr is so Oculus used to have Oculus Studio and they released, you know, various um, games or not games, more like experiences like Dear Angelica. Um, and, you know, for a time it was, hey, we're going to devote like filmmaking in VR. And a few years later, they just took it all away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like that was one of the, one of the really great uses of VR because it was a totally you know, it's like uh, when you were a kid and you w- went to an IMAX movie, uh, one of the ones at like an amusement park where you had to stand instead of sit and like everything was all around your your area and you just kind of yeah. it all in. Um, for me, that was really powerful, but they they got rid of it, which I was really disappointed with because they made some really good stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's those slow experiences in VR in a small space. I think that that's where people need to design more. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they are. They, for some odd reason, they they think we live on properties with you know two acres of land and we can just do all this stuff. But the majority of us live in small apartments and small homes, so we need the full engrossing experience in a small space. That's the whole point of VR. Yeah, it's not that I run to the other side of the field because I don't have a field. Right. VR is supposed to help me do that without having one. Yeah. No. Very very fair points. Um, and it it is a new medium. Uh, and I'm sure I'm, we're just getting started with, with the potential of it. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, it has it's, its legs finally, unlike it does, but there's a reason that you and I, Moses don't yet, you know, being gamers and being curious about all that. It's just something about it is like, it's not quite for me yet. Yeah. If money was no object, sure. Sign me up, but you know, fitting it in right now just still doesn't quite make sense. I mean, I'm, I'm giving my Oculus quest away to somebody before I move. Oh wow! I'll buy, I'll buy the Quest Two when I get there, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it was just—it's too big of a box. I, I don't really want to use it anymore. Yeah, um, have fun. But yeah, I mean, it's—I—I I, I think that there's a really good opportunity for like the old school games, like the uh, classic puzzle mystery games, to work in VR. Um, but right now, I—I I don't see a whole lot of that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Although I, mean, I did really... play Star Wars Squadrons in VR, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I hear that's pretty good. Yeah, Moses, that's free on PlayStation this month. I think I've snagged it actually. Okay, same with um... Virtua Fighter Five. So if you and I want to try out a new fighting game, mm. we certainly may. Mm. Yeah, I seem to remember that one of the two games that was free on uh, PlayStation this month required it being downloaded immediately. And I was like, well, I'm not dealing with this right now. I'll that's, come back and check it shortly. That's, but... that's Virtual Fighter. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, I noticed that because I'm like, I didn't remember starting this download, but I guess I must have. But no, I guess I didn't. I've got pretty right. limited space Weird. on that PlayStation. So it's like, what do I delete now? But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. If, you, if you liked TIE Fighter and like X-Wing versus TIE Fighter back in the day, squadrons is pretty close so yeah and that seems like a great vr experience but again you're sitting in a seat right you're sitting in like a tie fighter so it's not like you're frantically moving around yeah so it's great for the experience but you know like limited movement again yeah. it suggests itself that limited physical movement might really be good for vr right um, right i was gonna say if people were willing to put the production cost into it when you're talking about like you know mystery uh, 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 style games, you could do some profound stuff by capturing real spaces and then modifying those spaces in terms of interaction and character and all of that, and it could be really freaking cool. I, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I certainly think that you can do a lot with like with a modified space in VR, um, but it. And again, you know, I'm not in a complete authority. It's just things that I've been interested in. Um, I, for some odd reason, they don't seem to go that route, but I think they're just trying to cast the broadest net for people to get in. Like that was the same thing with like Oculus Quest in the beginning or the Rift was, you know, they, they wanted to cast a net for everybody. Mm -hmm. So that would be like BBC, New York Times, uh, video companies that were doing in VR, mm -hmm. um, VR chat, you know, like just throwing everything into it, just being like, what do you like? Yeah. And I think the answer is, I don't think everybody knows just yet. I don't yeah. know what's going to be the most lucrative. Yeah. Well, it certainly is a, a fun, a fun ride to, to be on. And, and I, I look forward to what is, what is next. Um, we are uh, approaching the end of, of the spot here. I wondered if you had any, any final thoughts or any, anything else you wanted to add? Um, I, I guess I'm just really selfish and I want Sierra <laughs> games to be in VR. Yeah. Um, I really miss that type of game. And when I was talking to Moses about this last week, I kind of got a little angry because I'm just thinking, why are, why are there not more of these games? Because mm -hmm. I really enjoyed them growing up. Um, and, you know, they were, it, it was, it was kind of funny. I was like, I was, I was outside and I was thinking of like, world, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Yeah, no, that was one of the few great educational games where I had to use an almanac. I had to think about it. I had to problem solve, um, mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it the entire time. And I enjoyed the mystery games, and so if we want to make games that can make people think more critically and put them in a different area, especially if it's a slow area where they can kind of take in things slower, why not do it in VR? And yeah. I guess I'm just hoping that Sierra Studios. If anyone's listening out there, please bring it back. There yes, heed, heed our call. Yes. Um, well, great, uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, we will move along into our final feature of the show. It is time for Make My Game. And coming this week from 
Fall Missile Entertainment <laughs> is the game called Okay, Boring Mummy from Hell. <laughs> they normally aren't quite this zany. Um, uh, that do, is zany. We do have a veto. How, I mean, Boring Mummy from Hell. Let's put that on the back burner. Let me, let me hit the button one more time. <laughs> we'll come back okay. to it only if the other option is even worse. It, I mean, I, I was going to say, I could, I could go with it. but Okay, because right. this one's even, even zanier. So we'll actually go with uh, boring mummy from hell because the other option is Cthulhu's square dancing, the dark descent. <laughs> <laughs> Was the dark descent really necessary there? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, so yeah, coming this week from Fall Missile Entertainment, we have boring mummy from hell. Uh, what do you think, guys? I, I, my my first thought is that I really want to subvert boring instead of dull and go with digging. I I, I think this needs to be be a, a digging mummy, um, and yes. I think it's definitely better if the player is the the mummy, the you know wrapped up, you know, desiccated corpse, reanimated corpse, um, presumably reanimated. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and the moment you said that now all of a sudden I got excited about the idea because you are boring your way back you're trying to return to hell from whence you were exiled or uh, you know you're from hell you're trying oh, to, or maybe you're trying to escape wake hell. up in a museum come on okay okay yes <laughs> so uh, I so I, I I have Hulu and I've been watching um this Adult Swim series called Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. <laughs> okay. And it's essentially a bunch of demons that are in hell and, um, you know, they have zany adventures, but, you know, the, their idea of hell is uh, a cube, like cubicles, office space. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I want to feel like that this game could be a mixture of, like, Job Simulator and Octodad. <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah, so the Octodad part, because like you're a, a kind of decayed corpse, you're you're mm -hmm. um, not exactly the most agile being, right? You got to kind of fling yourself around a little bit. Right, right. And, you know, movement is going to be limited. So, you know, it's not like you can make it to the office party in the break room for somebody's birthday right away. Um, but you also have to think about if your limbs are going to fall. So it's something to consider at that time. <laughs> and so it's it's almost like a resource game too you know it's like I, I only have x amount of energy to get here can i make it here and then get back to my job um i i i, I that that would be great in vr it would, <laughs> it would. I, i'm just putting that out there and i i think it i think it can kind of fuse with what i was thinking as well in that there's another element of the game when you're sort of more in your like feral mummy form where you are boring down into the earth and then it's like one of those like drill into mars kinds of games where you upgrade your drill and you keep going deeper um and then as you run out of energy you have to come back up to the surface and uh make your way through human society so that you can consume their souls to get more energy to then bore <laughs> further to return to hell so how does one consume energy in that respect like do they like tap them on the shoulder do they you know do the visceral like rip into their chest is it maybe like a stealth kind of thing where you want to isolate the person so that word doesn't get out 
that there is a living mummy. Yeah, I'm I'm really thinking that it's actually like a social deception. You need to get the an individual into a location where you can where you can extract their soul. But you have that the Octodad style like flailing yeah. around and maybe your wrapping is like coming undone and you're tripping stuff like that and, so, and like ryan was saying you you know you get you you know you're pretty decayed you can you can lose a limb mm-hmm. but maybe in some instances that actually is necessary to kind of negotiate a specific environment right. so I, i'm i'm thinking of three game combinations here that i never thought would ever come together in a game combination i'm thinking octodad i'm thinking splinter cell and i'm thinking quap <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Vertical quap. Yep. Vertical quap with, with mean, a strong touch of stealth. <laughs> and I'm I not mean, talking GURP when I say vertical quap. I mean, you're you're a mummy. You you you've obviously been dead, so like all your functions are not working well. But you got to be stealthy at the same time, so you got to mm-hmm. be on time because otherwise, like you're gonna run yourself into a wall. Someone's gonna turn around. You're clearly there, mm-hmm. so you know it, it kind of ruins the mission. Um, this could be the hardest game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I love it. It's boy, this might be a, a world record here of 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 complete nugget of idea, but I think I think by Jove we've got it. I, I believe so. And I, it strikes me again, yeah, the boring mummy from hell may well simply be the the working title on this one. Uh, you know, maybe it's just go with it, uh, or maybe um Maybe as it as it progresses, it winds up uh, coming up with a with a title that is a little less on the nose, shall we right. say? Well, uh, from this week coming and the the studio name Fall Missile Entertainment, like it kind of sounds good. Is it autumnal or is it? I, well, it's just you know the missiles are are falling, or the missiles just falling. Down. I guess bombs fall, missiles shoot, but hey. And hence, you know, you got a good problem if it's a falling missile, but yeah. I mean, I would assume that the missile's falling, but, you know, I, either way, I, I still think the mechanics of the game that we thought of are very solid. I'm just uh, yeah. inclined to assume that for this particular game dev that, uh, you know, the artist, one of the artists got super freaking plowed one night and you know, basically created a logo that was so cool that they wound up going with it. <laughs> That's how you get fall missile entertainment. It's obviously, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. After this, uh, I might talk to my friend who does VR and be like, "Hey, we might have an idea, <laughs> right?" Awesome. <laughs> and then, and thus, the Paul and Moses play VR jam was born. Was born, right? There we go. Yep. So yeah, we've got you know 13 episodes worth of uh, of of zany and not so zany ideas. But uh, not so zany idea is uh, our final feature: the goodbyes. As we move to the end of the show, uh, Moses, thank you as always for being here with me. Paul, thank you as always for hosting. And Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. This was a, a fun discussion. Paul, Moses, thank you so much. I hope I provided some some knowledge of VR, um, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Well, if uh, anyone out there has any uh, questions, comments, or suggestions. Uh, please feel free to email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never never stop. stop. Never stop gaming. Playing. Playing. Uh, I I was even trying to think about it like about 20 minutes prime. I'm like, wait, what did they say again? Oh, God. (laughs) 